Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph by myself, Catherine Whitaker, by David Law. I'm in London, David's in Birmingham. We are brought together by the Cyberspace Podcast Universe, David, in a yeah. beautiful technological way. A Nirvana. Is that the right word? <laughs> Podcast Nirvana. Well, yeah. hello and welcome to Podcast Nirvana. Um, you're using new equipment to record, David. So um, prior to hitting record today, David said the words to me, um, using the new uh, equipment. So fingers crossed this records. It looks so, like a little spaceship. I mean, you might never be hearing this. Yeah. These golden words might be falling on deaf ears. It's a, it's a bit scary looking. I, I've, I've understood which the red button means record, I think. So if you're hearing this, it does. If you're hearing this, all is well. If you're yeah. not, then, yeah, it's like one of those sort of apocalypse videos that you make. If you're hearing this, it can only be bad news, um, except the reverse of that. Uh, I, I met up with um, some podcast comrades during my recent trip to Guernsey, David, the uh, presenters, the guys from the cricket, the World Cricket Show podcast, which is a brilliant podcast if you're also in interested in cricket. Um, and... Honestly, when we started comparing and contrasting our recording techniques and equipment, there was so much nerdy excitement around the table. It was palpable. Oh yeah. No, it was great. It was great. Um, so let's nerd out about some tennis, David. Yeah. That's what we're here for weekly, yeah. daily during slams, nerding out about tennis. Um Lots has happened. The WTA finals in Singapore has got underway. We're recording on Monday evening. We've had two full days of play. Um, we're, of course, going to talk about that and the fact that I think the court is way too slow. Um, but first, we are going to talk about Carl Edmund, David. Yeah. We're going to talk about Carl Edmund because he's won an ATP title. He's defeated Guillermo Fils in an absolute thriller um, of a final in Antwerp, 7-6 uh, in the third. Did I just say that? No, I don't think you did. I didn't, no. All right. did well, happen, I can't, though. I can't emphasise it enough. It went to a uh, deciding set tie-break, and that was brilliant. And uh, boy, did he hold his nerve. I texted you at the time, and I said... I, you know, I owe Carl Edmund a big apology because I was waiting for him to choke. I was, I, I knew how big it was for him. Um, and I know what kind of a player Monfils is. And he was just looping it back, waiting for Kyle to miss. And he didn't. He And he didn't play conservatively either. He absolutely went for it. And he wrenched that title um, from Gail Monfils into his own hands. And um, goodness me. There was some emotional reaction from Edmund, wasn't there, on, on winning his first Did that, uh, did that surprise title. you? It surprised me that he was so demonstrative about it, yeah. I mean, I knew... 
it didn't surprise me what it meant to him. I, I, I knew that was big. That was really, really big. And I, I feared for him a bit if he didn't win that because, as we've discussed, you know, the, the baggage builds up. And you look at the, the first-time titleist on the, the tour this year, his name should be in there. His name absolutely should be in there. Um, so, yeah, I knew how big it was for him. I, I've never seen him be anywhere close to that demonstrative uh, with any kind of emotion. I know it's something that Freddie Rosengrand's been trying to to bring out of him on the court in a positive way, you know, a bit more fist-pumping, a bit more just heart-on-the-sleeve kind of stuff. But my goodness me, it was... It was an outpouring, wasn't it? In the same sort of, um, in the same sort of way, obviously very different emotions to to Murray's tears on the court in in Washington. Just a sort of a release of everything, a release of absolutely everything that he's put in to get to that moment. Pro- probably um, closer to, I guess, to to Murray. Some of the, the the scenes we've seen on court with him in the past, although I can't remember too many times when he's won and been that emotional. Maybe after the Olympics, the second time round, you know, when when he when he beat Del Potro. Um, but no, it, it was a surprise to to me to to see him like that, just because we haven't seen it. And uh, but it was so significant. It was so significant for him in his own career. We we it's been become a recurring theme for us talking about Kyle Edmonds' progress, and yet this mountain still hadn't been scaled this winning of a first title and also when you start to look at the significance of it in british tennis terms because it just hasn't happened that british men have been winning titles unless your name is andy murray the last one to do it was greg rosetsky in 2005 in newport on the grass uh, henman last won his final title in 2003 it's 15 years ago so it's significant in those terms um and I think it's just a main, a major milestone for for Edmund as he goes into 2019. He is basically about a year behind Tim Henman in just about every achievement Henman has had to that point um, of reaching a first slam semi, getting to a career high ranking of number 14 in the world, and winning a first title. So it's a it's a great achievement for for Edmund in in what has become a really excellent year of tennis for him. Yeah. Yeah, and and particularly as he's going to go into the start of next season. I mean, who knows? This season might not be over. It's, there's still an outsider's outside chance that that he gets to London, right? I yeah. mean, less it, less than an outsider's outside chance of being an alternate. Yeah, um, I mean, he he needs because Del Potro's got this injury. The 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 chances are he's not playing. So it, it does mean that if Edmund was to do what. To, to use the words Hemman and Rosetsky again, those two players both won Paris and, and I, I think would regard that as their biggest title victory. Great scenes back in 1998 when Rosetsky beat Sampras in straight sets in the final. Sampras was world number one at the time. That's 20 years ago, 1998. 15 years ago, Henman had an incredible run to the title. He beat Davidenko, he beat Gustavo Curtin, he beat Sebastian Grosjean, he beat Roger Federer, he beat Andy Roddick, to, and then Andre Pavel in the final to win that title. That's basically what Edmund and, would have to do. And then Andre Pavel in the final. I know, well, it is a bit... And, on, look, Andre I, Pavel's I, a very good player, like the, but still, uh, I know I've, what you mean. I've, I've worked with... I've worked with, uh, million, I've worked with many, uh, many great, great actors and Warwick Davis. It's like that line, isn't it? That's harsh. Uh, well, no, I'm, I thought that's that was I'm I'm that was your delivery. No, he beat well, Andy actually, Roddick. I, I, I he beat what. Roger Federer, and then he beat Andre Pavel. Yeah, I, all right. I, I did sort of think at the end. Should I mention Andre Pavel who we beat in the <laughs> final? Yes, I should. Uh, no disrespect to Andre intended, but yes, lofty names indeed that that Hemman beat that week, and that yeah, Edmund's got to do something like that. In orders because he needs a thousand points to make up, and and that's what he would get if he won Paris. But he's got Vienna this week, so we'll see how he goes. It's not impossible. Oh, it's a lot of tennis, isn't it? It's, it's unlikely. It's unlikely, really. But you know, he's a, he's he's a but durable hey, hey, lad. If isn't he, he only gets in as an alternate, you know, it's not inconvenient for him, is he? he can just he can stay at home, pop along to the O2 every day. I think you still get paid pretty handsomely just for hanging out yeah you, you, you get plenty of money you know? but didn't didn't he say that he wasn't actually 100 percent sure if he would take it if he did get it remember when dimitrov got there and didn't play 2014 um yeah but what, what would 
what possible disincentive could there be for him not to accept an alternate spot? I suppose he doesn't actually live in the UK anymore, does he? He lives in the Bahamas. No, it's another week to go and, you know, put your feet up and get ready for the next year. But I, oh, I'm I sure he can have he a would, pretty sweet old time as an would, alternate would, at the old O2. He, he would, he would want to go, I'm sure, if yeah, he actually did go. Yeah, of course go. he would. So. Yeah. So anyway, well done, Kyle Edmund. Very good. Well done, well done, Kyle Edmund. His backhand down the line, by the way, is an absolute revelation. I, do, I know you do. You, were you not able to watch the match? No, actually, because it wasn't on UK television. Thank goodness you you did see the match because you watched it on tennis TV, didn't you? And nobody else that I know, apart from you and student Matt, and obviously there are many people who watch tennis TV. But you know, my mum would have loved to have watched that match. She doesn't even know what tennis TV is. You know, um, it's so, a terrible. It's a terrible shame that it wasn't on a, a UK broadcaster. A really terrible shame. Um, I don't know enough about. The, the nuances of rights deals to know, like, you know, why couldn't somebody have, why couldn't, you know, one of the UK broadcasters just bought the fi- rights to the final, you know, almost on the day after, because, you know, there's no other rights holder in this country to, to compete with. Yeah, you know, there's, it is a shame. Uh, I would like to think someone tried uh, and for whatever reason it wasn't possible because that is such an open goal missed and it's another example of tennis not doing itself any favors you know that's a big opportunity to to bring tennis to the attention of of the masses outside of Wimbledon um I'm sure his sponsors weren't too happy about it either no well I mean and it's interesting that this morning all the news channels were all over it because they picked up the little bit of highlights of of him having won this won his first title cried at the end I mean it's it is just one of those memorable moments and yeah, everybody it's great wants to footage. know about it yeah it's big it's big and and especially for someone like Kyle Edmund who has been difficult to to get to know over the years hasn't he he's a very um he's completely likable but he's very sort of serious he doesn't he, he he takes what he does very seriously which is obviously deserving of respect but in terms of getting to know the guy and feeling you know that he's letting us in um I, I don't think we've 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 felt that way on, on many occasions o- over the 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 few years of his career so far but this was a, a massive leap in that direction so yeah thank goodness the from a news perspective it was really picked up on but does it make a shame. difference Catherine how you view his potential to reach a slam final and eventually win one no not really because he was always going to win a title he was always going to win one you know, barring disaster, he, you know, he he ought to be an ATP title winner. This doesn't change for me my feelings about his ability or potential. Um, so we, I'm still a little unsure on what that is. I, I certainly am not thinking Grand Slam champion at this stage. Do you think finalist? Um, maybe. I mean, that's only one step further than he's already been. There's no doubt there is going to be a period in tennis when there will be opportunities, um, you know, when there will be, there will not be a stranglehold. There will be very good players around, but there will not be a stranglehold. And it's about who capitalises. You know, you look at that, that post Sampras pre Federer era, there's going to be a patch like that. I don't know how long it'll last, um, but he he needs to get himself in the position to be one of the guys to, to capitalise. Because, you know, I don't think... Anyone's talking about him as to be, you know, the next number one, the next dominating force, the the next, you know, person to take over from the big four or anything, anything like that. I mean, stranger things have happened, but that still feels, you know, a bridge too far. But could he be the guy that makes the absolute most of a, a slice of luck and, and a good dose of talent? He could be that guy. He could be that guy. 77% of our uh, voters in Pole Vault reckon that he will not win a Grand Slam title. But 37% of the, uh, of the, of the total also think he will reach a final. So there we are. Uh, I, Look, I'd go I with mean, that group. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit British cockeyed to be asking that question, isn't it? On a weekend when... Let's be really honest, there were two other title winners that are both probably in the non-British biased tennis watcher's eye 
more likely to Ooh, be a, would you a put Karen, Grand Slam Karen Hatchinov's one of them, isn't he? Karen Hatchinov won Moscow, and it's his yeah, third title, I, correcting myself, because I thought it was his first. Uh, terrible for me. Uh, but it was his third title. It'd be Adrian Manorino, 6-2-6-2. So you'd put Hatchinov ahead of Edmund in terms of likelihood of winning a slam. Not by much, but yes. That performance against Nadal at the US Open... Uh, that way he was just able to bully Rafael Nadal. That took my breath away. I know he didn't win it, um, but it really took my breath away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd put Sitsipas miles ahead of either of them. Would you? Yeah, I would, yeah. He's, come on, he's the real deal. He's Ooh. the real deal. Incidentally, he won the title in Stockholm. That's yeah. why we're talking about him. His Peter first title. in the final, straight sets, four and four. Gorbis, yeah, six, four, yeah. six, four. Um, well, Sitsipas was only winning his first ATP tour-level match just over a year ago. So to sort of, yeah. And, uh, and only we, 20. We, re- we mentally readjust to a new state of quo- status quo very quickly in tennis. Very, very quickly. Um, and the status quo now is that Sitsipas is a top 20 player and a future Grand Slam champion. And so every, I think a lot of people went, oh, it's first ATP title. But, you know, um, yeah, 16 in the world, highest ever ranked um, uh, male player in the world under the age of 21. He's the highest ranked male player in the world. He Not ever, obviously. He's the <laughs> highest ranked. As a, you, <laughs> can you tell I'm reading notes? Uh, at uh, 16, he's the highest ranked male player in the world currently under yes. the age of 21. I mean, you, um, you and say, he's the first ever Greek to win an ATP title. Can I tell you you're reading notes? Greek no, I can't, man, because I if you say. were, you'd be getting it right. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's right touché, there. Touche, He's been congratulated by the Greek Prime Minister. Yeah, nice, you got it? that bit right. Definitely the Greek yeah. Prime Minister. I wear an interesting lack of, you know, response on Twitter from uh, Nick Kyrgios and and, and Tanasi Kokonakis. Hmm. Yes. Uh, they've they've won titles, haven't they? No, I mean Kyrgios has won a title, but Kokonakis not for a, not for a while, David. Not for a while, for and a while. he pulled out of Moscow, hurt again. Hopefully, he gets yeah. We're soon. not going to talk about him. No. All right. That's that. That's that done. Uh, what yeah. else has happened? Uh, oh, crikey, what else has happened? Uh, well, we've had events on the women's side in Luxembourg and Moscow. Um, obviously, this sort of situation, which most people agree is slightly crazy, where, where you've got uh, regular tour-level events take, that, that, that count towards um, WTA finals ranking points taking place right up until the eve of the WTA finals, um, You know, which was highlighted the the ridiculousness of which was highlighted most starkly a couple of years ago when Svetlana Kuznetsova won Moscow and ousted Joe Conta from the WTA finals field after Joe Conta had featured in the draw and all the publicity therein. Uh, but anyway, nothing of that nature this time. Daria Kazakina, though, uh, was a Russian that won in Moscow, uh, beat Ons Jabor, um in the final, she's a great watch. On, I mean, we've talked a lot about what a what a great watch we find Daria Kazakina to be. But Ons Jabur is um, is yeah, she's she's very watchable. I didn't realise she. I honestly, I mean, I've seen maybe I've sort of kind of partially watched matches of hers without really taking any notice, and I, and I feel really quite embarrassed to say that. But I think that that does happen, particularly when you're at Grand Slams. You just sort of matches just kind of go on in in your subconscious without you really taking them in unless in our case you're covering them as a commentator and and i i, I think i commentated on three of her matches in moscow jibber and she she qualified for the tournament twice having lost the first set 6-1 including against harriet dart of the uk who who she then ended up beating seven six and a third that was just qualifying then she she went and absolutely smashed through a katarina makarova 6-2-6-1 and at the end of the match she carried she was carrying on to the next point and, and then the umpire said no it's game set and match you've won and and she was just so in the moment she didn't even realize she'd won the match uh then she beat sloane stevens who i gotta be honest did not give 
her best effort, in my opinion. Um, I think she mentally was completely on the plane already. She'd already found out she was qualifying for Singapore. And we've seen today that in her win over Naomi Osaka, just how well Sloane Stephens is capable of playing. Not that we needed reminding, but she wasn't there mentally. And Jabir just took her took her down big time. And uh, and she was absolutely fantastic. Just to get, I mean, if you haven't seen Jabir play, she's not tall. She's she's strong she's um incredibly dexterous with, with her with her hands and she plays all sorts of angles and touches and she goes to the net and she plays trick shots there were through the leg shots that there were jump double-handed backhands cross-court it was like watching Kasatkina playing in a mirror and and, and as a match she led Kasatkina 6-2-4-1 and and it looked as though Jibber was going to get the title and then Kasatkina got one of the great on-court coaching sessions I've ever seen from Philip De Hayes, and it was not the first time either um, throughout the week. He, he is an incredible coach at those on-court deliveries. And for the second time in a, in a week, he did the same against Elise Cornet when she was looking as though she's about to go out of the tournament, and he just came on and, and just delivered these speeches to her, and she just got up out of her chair like a different woman. Did you see those? I did, yeah. It was the Corne one where he was encouraging her to be like a Russian wall. He sort of covered the, you know, the emotional, psychological, and the tactical, um, all in one pretty profound, inspiring um, little package. And he did it in a really. He didn't just sit down or sort of, I don't know, so many of them in so many different ways, sort of the body language makes me uncomfortable, either a hand on the knee or something about the way they're sort of quite literally talking down to them sometimes just just makes me feel a touch uncomfortable. But everything about their dynamic was was just just really nice, you know, obviously just works. I mean, there is still something just in principle about us giving so much credit to a male coach for a, a a a female's performance you know i felt the same even though i was doing it as well and it's right to do it you know i felt the same at the french open when you know darren cahill was almost as talked about as simona halep and he is a brilliant coach and a lot of her success can be attributed to him and the I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. It just, in principle, makes me uncomfortable. And I don't think I will ever... I, I just... I mean, long story short, I wish there were more female coaches. I mean, that's that's the fundamental problem. That it's... On the women's tour, it is always, almost exclusively, always a man telling a woman what to do. Um, and I, I wish there were more women doing it so it didn't seem such a gendered issue because it oughtn't to be a gendered issue it should just be a coach telling a player what to do but because of of the way it is with coaching anyway um but (laughs) i i i'm not i'm not wanting to say that um philippe de hayes doesn't deserve a lot of credit because it was it was a i i want a philippe de hayes in my corner sometimes just to get through the day you got one. Yeah. You're talking you've to, to wake, him. You've got to wake up from this nap, Catherine. You've got to do it. Yeah, okay. I, d- I don't say that because I, I, I'm too scared, frankly. Uh, <laughs> but no, he, he's uh, he's an impressive bloke um, uh, in the way he delivers those. And look, you know, I take I take the, the point about it would be nice to just see the the genders equaled up, and also that the, the sheer fact that it only happens on the women's tour is is part of that problem um, because you don't get a reverse, um, but. As a, as a, I don't think I've seen. Well, any- and if you did get a reverse, it wouldn't be gendered either, because it would be a man telling a man. What to well, do. on the on almost exclusively, on, almost exclusively, yeah, not not a hundred percent, but almost. Um, well, yeah, I mean, well, we've seen Maresmo, we've seen uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Dennis Isterman. His coach uh, was mm-hmm. his mum, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So you're giving me one current example. No, I, look, I'm not going to give you many, but I'm not going to say it's exclusive when it's not. You're giving me one. Yeah, I've given you two. I didn't say exclusive. I said almost. I've just given you two, and and you 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 hummed and hard about it. I've given you almost two exclusive. examples. No, one current example. Yeah, okay, one current example, and I've given you one other one as well. Anyway, no um, uh, current examples. 
crikey. Um, Not in the the mood for this, David. No, me either. So, anyway, Philip de Hayes (laughs) was the most stark example of changing the course of a match that I've ever seen from an on-court coaching position. Um, And he did it twice in a week. So, The most stark example? Wow. Give me a bigger one. Well, I'm not sure that I got... I'm not not, um, doubting it. I just hadn't, you know fully assessed it in six two four six two four one yeah no i mean you could you could very well be right you could very well i can't think of anything else where somebody has been six two four one down and has has taken such a turn like that uh when when a coach has come on to actually going and winning the winning the title as a result of it or straight after it anyway yeah i hope he's on a um a a commission a, a prize money bonus deal of some sort. She's got the um, first alternate spot in Singapore for her troubles. Yeah, in she Moscow. has. She has, although, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of of examples in the past where the alternate in the WTA finals has ended up playing. I can't think of many. I mean, I can think of quite a few in the, the ATP finals, but... Yeah, there's an awful lot fewer um, in the WTA. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, there must, there will be ones. Um, Maybe but, it's because the, the the event is that much ooh. earlier in the year. I mean, you, you know, you it's it's what towards the it's twentieth twenty second of October, and you've still got another three weeks of tennis before the ATP finals gets underway. Um, and they play best of three at slams. Hmm. Not yeah, that course. I'm not that I'm supporting any revision. You know, let's not get into that. <laughs> Ben, Ben is going to be flying over and demanding <laughs> yeah. to come on the podcast to say, yeah. yes, you make my point. Oh, anyway. We can't open all the cans of worms in one episode. Um, what do you want to do next, David? Do you want to do on-court coaching or do you want to do Singapore? Just, just a quick I've, word I've for Joe Conter. I've sort of accidentally Conter. done segues onto both of those things. Oh, Joe Conter. Let's just, let's just give her a quick mention because she's not had that many reasons to celebrate this year and she no. ended up with a semi-final. So that, that helps. Yeah, re- again, sort of similar to Kyle, really. I, you'd fear for her mentally over the off-season um, if she'd had another bad week and just ended on a, a bum note and had sort of only poor memories, really, of of 2018, especially given that she went into to Moscow trialling a new coaching relationship. She's got something positive to take with her um, into the, into the off-season. So we will see. We will see. Hey, she's going to have pretty much nothing to defend in 2019, is she? I mean, not nothing, That's but relative to to where she's been. So mentally, it's going to be more like where she was in 2019. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I still think there's, there's something still not quite right, though, because I know she played quite well in that semi uh, against Kasatkina and got beaten 6-4, 6-3. Yeah, because Kasatkina's really clever. And Joe Conter is is easy to work out. Yes, but I still think that that Conter of a year and a half ago wins wins that match. The, there's something. Right. There's a bit more conviction about a grand strokes back then. Um, but still, uh, well, Conter of a year and a half ago had Winforset in her corner. Angelique Kerber of two weeks ago had Winforset in her corner. Is he the sort of is is he the one year wonder? Well, it is a it is a quite stark track record that he's got isn't it of Mm. having really significant results with a player whether due to him or not i I mean that's that's the other thing with all these things you don't know how much a coach has got to do with it we've just touched on that really um but certainly their results have coincided with his presence Uh, some serious results and kerb has had a great year really good year and that decision to stop the collaboration without that many bits of information given just a different view regarding the future and and that's kind of the same as we heard about him and Conter at the time and and there are others too i mean he was with Halep for a while he was with, he was with um Lizicki for a while you know mm, and, Azarenka, and, and, yeah. it, and it didn't end up leading to the, to the a timing's long... bizarre isn't it yeah i mean just I mean, before I, the, the finals yeah really bizarre timing um i i can't really 
can't really explain that. Nobody um, seems I mean, to be able to shed any light either. You know, when, no, when you... I mean, look, there were there were there were rumours when Conta split up with uh, Fissette that you know there were there was financial disagreement, you know, renegotiation of a contract, and they couldn't come to a financial agreement. I never heard any significant substantiation of that. Um, and the, I mean, the fact that the situation of splitting up after a relatively short period was not unique to Conte. I mean, it does suggest that there's something, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's just the Mourinho of, of tennis, although. That'd be three well, years. Although if you're making, if you're making that, well, exactly. But, you know, a sort of limited period, high impact, um, extricate yourself quickly, um, try not to um, rubbish your whole career track record with a, a botched stint at Man United. Um, <laughs> so who's going to be his Man United? Who, who will be his Man U? Well, I mean, maybe... Who's the Man United <laughs> he, of women's tennis? Oh. Is it Gabin Oh, that's a good one. Someone... Oh, it might be. It might be. But I don't think Sam Sumick's... Uh, going anywhere anytime soon is he well you say that but i mean she's she's not even reached the wta finals this year and but that's you know she's been off the rails for a long time and and there never seems to be any questioning of him even though i i put those two in the category of a dynamic when i see the on-court coaching that frequently makes me uncomfortable in the past though the results were there i mean the the, the previous two years yeah, she did qualify she and she won the slam she's martinez when she won wimbledon sam sumick was off having a baby back home and it was martinez that got the ousting on the, I, I don't understand any of it and, and again it's another one that we we've never really it's not like information's leaked out or anything and never really got to the bottom of martinez being ousted there. Who is Fissett going to go for next, or who is going to go for Fissett next? I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm still thinking Kabinia Magarutha, maybe, but we'll see. Who is who is coachless at the moment? Is it Azarenka? Yeah, but he's he's been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, well, that happens. Remember Ivan Lendl and uh, an old Andy Murray. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I. I wait with bated breath. I wait with bated breath. It's going to be an interesting one. He's, you know, and is he a, is he a big enough, is he going through the Rolodex and putting in calls or is he sat by the phone waiting to be called? What Ooh, do you think? That's a very good question. I don't know. A lot of this goes through agents as well. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be intriguing. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. watch the space we, and listen to our podcast and we will let you know when we hear about it. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. 
Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Should we talk about Patrick Moritoglu and what he's been saying? <laughs> While we're on the subject of, of coaches. Um, yeah. How to sum up what Patrick Moritoglu has been saying. Um, he has, David, uh, he's been speaking to the media. Does that surprise you? Really? It's been, he's been making his views known. Even he when is, Serena Williams hasn't got a tournament at the moment. Yeah, he's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so, uh, Patrick Moritoglu... Actually seeming, tweeted, didn't it? Seemingly unsolicited. I don't know whether it was prompted by, by something, but he put out a statement on Twitter um, entitled The Status of Coaching Needs Reforming. Uh, broken down into bullet points, he says um, coaching deserves to be recognised and valued. It's a vital component of a sporting performance. Da, da, da. Banning it almost makes it look as if it needs to be hidden, as if it's shameful. Da, da, da. Uh, because tennis is the only sport where coaching isn't front and centre. Come, we'll come back to that one in a moment, Patrick. Um, third bullet point, because on-court coaching helps increase the quality of the sporting show and resolves a lot of the issues our sport is facing, can attract new people to tennis, create engagement on social media. Final um, argument in favour of allowing mid-match coaching because it's time to, quote, stop the hypocrisy surrounding coaching. It is a very basic truth that the vast majority of tennis coaches are actually coaching on court despite the rules. And despite the fact that Serena says... <laughs> still says you weren't coaching me on court during the US Open final. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> well, what do you think, David? Well, uh, my first immediate reaction to it was was to just point out the the comical irony of the fact that it would appear Serena Williams never wants him to come on and coach her. Because it certainly never <laughs> happened, um, as, as far as I can remember. Unless anybody can put me right on that, um, he has never taken to the court to deliver on-court coaching on the WTA circuit, which, which, to my understanding, would mean that she doesn't ask him to come on. Now, Simon Campbell, a colleague of ours, did an interview with Patrick a while back in which Patrick was quoted as saying that Serena has asked him to come on and and i to to that i mean i i take that to mean privately i.e before a match she, she said that she'd like it and he said that he prefers her to work things out on her own pretty much um which makes it all very confusing as to as to, to put this out i mean the actual the actual things he said many of them i kind of agree with i i do think that the the current situation is is unsatisfactory and 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 that coaching does go on it'd be just nice to have a a clear rule across the sport whereby we know exactly what to expect and what's going on i do think it we've talked about on court coaching generally that you and i i think are basically in favor of of a form of it whether it's headset coaching or or actually on court coaching putting aside all the, the the issues that we've talked about of man dishing out instructions to, to women and the, and the look that that has and all that sort of thing there there is an element to on-court coaching that is interesting um so th there are a lot of things that i actually think he's, he makes a valid point about it i think it's just that it's him who's made this this these points and he's made them just after one of the biggest furores that we've ever had in a grand slam final as a direct result of his coaching from, from the sidelines so the timing of it is is surprising to me really um but i i do think it's i mean at the same time do i want people to just not say what they think well i do kind of want them to say what they think so fair enough in that regard yeah, I mean to to deal with his his points one by one. I think coaching in tennis is recognised and valued. I agree that it's a vital component of the sport and shouldn't be hidden. But I don't think it is. You know, I 
refer to what I was saying earlier about the fact that, you know, there was a, an element of the the quantity of credit that was given to Darren Cahill, etc., that made me uncomfortable just, just because of how gendered it felt. Um, but I, 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 I don't know. I don't agree that... I don't agree that that coaching is undervalued in tennis. I really don't. I mean, no, uh, I don't as, either. As 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 people that that cover the sport and lead discussions in the sport and debate and all the rest of it, I really feel like I spend a lot of time talking about coaching relationships and dynamics and breakups and. And actually, and, if, we, if anything, I think and, we do overdo it a bit. To be honest, yeah, I, I mean, I, I because it's. It's such a, a fruitful, it's a rich theme of conversation often. I, yeah, I agree. I think if anything, it's a little bit overdone. And just look at look at what, I mean, okay, a, a lot of it's down to, to who he's been coaching. But look at what Patrick's got from, from being Serena's coach. You know, he's got his own show on Eurosport. He didn't have that before he was a Serena Williams coach you know with all due respect to him he didn't suddenly become a good coach when he teamed up with with Serena um but he certainly wasn't a guy that was gonna get his own show called the coach do you know what I mean (laughs) um so yeah I don't agree with him on that I don't certainly don't agree with him and I don't think statistics would either either that tennis is the only sport where coaching isn't front and center I'm trying I, I, I'm not so sure that I can think of many sports. I can't think. Tell me a sport where there isn't coaching involved in in in. Well, a, what does he mean? I think he means sort of prominence in terms of public awareness. There, though, I, not I where there isn't means, coaching. I I I I took it to mean that you that you you can't consult a coach during a match. Um, oh, I took it to mean sort of you know the the sort of a continuation of the previous point about how recognized and valued it is from the outside mm. no um, that's not that's not what i read it as i mean because I, th- I think we're reading a an abridged version here that matt has put together for us but but i think actually his he, he definitely makes the point that you know in sports like boxing and and all that sort of thing you you can talk to your coach at the end of every single round um that that is definitely a uh, a significant yeah and i i, I think that's a, a very strong example in favor of on-court coaching because absolutely n- I, i've never heard any suggestion you've watched a lot more boxing in your time than i have david but i've never heard any suggestion that 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 element of you know being able to consult your coach during the timeout etc detracts from the gladiatorial element the the one-on-one heat of battle anything yeah. like that i've here never heard had anyone suggest that that detracts from all the things we love about boxing. here it is catherine actually the point is entitled because tennis is the only sport where coaching isn't front and center and he says i've never understood why tennis is just about the only sport in which coaching during matches is not allowed you see it all the time in team sports football coaches instruct their players from the sidelines they take from take advantage from half time to adjust their teams or systems basketball coaches can call timeouts several times during a game and you can also see it in individual sports boxers receive a constant stream of advice from the corners cyclists on the road have radio contact with teams golfers have got their caddies tennis may become the the last sport to give coaching the attention it deserves but it's better late than never if they end up having uh, on-court coaching across the board. Yeah, I, mean, well, I, th- I, don't, I don't disagree with him, but then he sort of conflates the issue there in his last point by saying attention it deserves. Yeah, I agree with, um, with you about that. I think it does know, it, get the attention yeah, it deserves. It's um, just that it, why wouldn't you allow it um, yeah. like the other sports I, do? I disagree. I, I Sorry, I, I firmly agree with point number three that it it. it it done properly and we've we've made the points in the past about the desperate need for translation um i find that increasingly farcical um the more and more i see of it the the fact that quite often we're seeing sitting there and probably you know one one percent of the viewership and none of the commentary team can understand what's going on which when some when a large justification for something existing is the enhancement of the experience for the viewer um, if a lot, of, if a lot of the time that is just completely lost because um, it's being spoken in a language that few viewers can understand, that that is a farcical situation. Um, but done the right way, um, I I agree in principle with that. That it's it's 
an added extra for the viewer and for the broadcaster. It's going to be very interesting to see which way they um, end up going with all this in terms of whether they are able to, to get some think- sort of a, a, a consensus about it all. Because, I mean, you know, the, the, the WTA tour now has been running this trial, in inverted commas, for nine years. Um, and the, the, yeah, the other thing worth worth pointing out is that there, there's again a conflation of on court coaching and mid match coaching. On on the WTA, a player is allowed to bring their coach on court once per set, but that doesn't mean it's a free for all for coaching from the box the rest of the time. Or Davis Cup set- style. That's the other one yeah. that he appears to yeah. like, and the, yeah. there are many that do. Brad Gilbert's a big big fan of on court coaching. Uh, it's it's fascinating. There's so many that are that are absolutely dead against it. Ex players, virtually yeah. every ex player I speak to and is against. Chris Clary, our very esteemed colleague, who I so rarely disagree with on anything, is um, vehemently opposed to it, isn't he? Mm. Oh, well, if Chris is against against, against yeah, it, yeah, I know. I might have to change my mind. I know, I know. Should, should we talk about something we can agree on? What about Wimbledon twelve all tie breaks in the final set? Yeah, I mean, it's not much of a discussion point, really, is it? Because I think everybody's just gone, yep, that makes sense, great. John isn't a rule. You know, it's just... just. Would you would you have changed the, the number at which it comes in? Because I know some people feel that yeah, it should well, have been as, a six-all. Yeah, I, lo- I love a fifth-set tie-break. Again, this is a debate that, that we've had. I I think it's a brilliant way to end a match. I'd be... I'm I'm not uncomfortable with it at twelve all. That that's fine. I don't feel strongly enough about it to um to make any kind of hoo ha. But I I I would like it to be consistent across the slams, ideally. Um, and I'd be cool with it all being U.S. Open style. Six I'd, all I'd in, have been in the fifth. Quite but, you know, tempted to go nine all personally. And but there, isn't this all just getting a bit arbitrary? Yeah. <laughs> You're just plucking numbers from the sky. Why not 11 all? No, well, I like 9 all. So, you know, uh, but no, uh, I've, it's okay. It's fine because at least it at least it stops the absurdity that we saw at Wimbledon this year where Kevin Anderson, bless him, could barely walk the, the, the day he came out for the Wimbledon final after 26-24 and obviously uh, 70-68 for Isner. I mean, come on. And also pertinently... That wasn't a brilliant match. Well, Anderson, it, and it got it? progressively worse. It got progressively worse, exactly. So, so for people making the argument that it, you know, the 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 drama and the quality, it maybe not always the quality, but the drama, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the viewing experience just increases as the final set goes on. No, no, every everyone was ready for that match to you, end. You need to know um, there is a full stop. There is a finish yeah. line. Um, e- even if it is still epically long and, and it's starting to get worse, you could, at least if you can see that finish line, I think players can just s- sort of accept it more. Uh, it's That never-ending feel, I think that they end up just protecting their games and their bodies. They don't play proper tennis. Um, so yeah. anyway, I think we're in but agreement. But I mean, I mean, we are talking about, for, 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 a, for a rule change that's caused such a massive stir... I mean, there have only been 14 singles matches of Wimbledon that have reached 12 all in the, right? last eight, in the last 18 years. Wow. So it's 0.29% of all matches, singles matches. So, yeah, <laughs> in terms of rule changes uh, and the impact on the sport, we're, we're talking about a, f- a footnote here. Mm. Okay. Not for Kevin Anderson, we're not. <laughs> but, um, yeah. What's going on in Singapore? Uh, Singapore were two days in. Um, it's been good. It's it's been. Re- I mean, today was good, wasn't it? Stevens, you started off with a moan about the court speed. What was all too, that? About? It's too slow. It's too slow. David. Meaning what? I I I find it a frustrating watch. I can't quite put my finger on. You know, because slow doesn't necessarily equal bad. I'm not saying that. There's just something. It just don't know. I find myself sort of just in a state of just frustration do you know what i i agree with you I've, and I, 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 and i tell you i tell you here's the problem can you help me express it in ways that aren't just i would say noises? i i, I had the same me. problem at the u.s open this year where that where jim courier said that the usta had specifically gone out and slowed it down to try to help american players 
the result I you believe got believe that it was to help American players. But anyway, the result that you ended up getting was that one Martin Del Potro in the final, admittedly against one of the greatest movers the sport has ever seen, and somebody who can just put the ball on a dime on the baseline time after time. Juan Martin Del Potro was struggling to hit winners uh, with with enough regularity against Novak Djokovic on a hard court. And that should not happen, in my view. If Del Potro hits his straps and is really levelling the ball, he should be able to hit winners against anybody. And we saw today... Uh, uh, Naomi Osaka against Sloane Stevens, and again, Stevens is just an incredible defender. I mean, she's got she's got the full package; she can defend and attack. But Osaka, when she's on, she just knocks holes through people, and she and it just felt like she couldn't hit enough winners to me. Yeah, it just it just somehow feels un, unfair, doesn't it? That that there are shots that instinctively should be winners even against the best movers in the world. And when they're not, you just feel like, oh, well, I mean, if that's how I feel, then the likes of Naomi Osaki, you know, shot maker style of players should, I mean, I can only imagine how frustrated she was. And there was a period uh, during that match when she really did seem to be at a complete loss, didn't she? She did very well to take the uh, the second set, actually. Her serve was keeping her in it for a lot of the match lost the third six ones uh, six one Kiki Burton's uh, fought back from a six one first set uh, defeat to beat Angelique Kerber that six, was three, impressive six, four. yeah and I thought the the court speed might suit Kerber a bit but yeah I mean judging on the base of the court speed Sloane Stevens should should win this tournament I think yeah, I think that's Discuss. that's quite a good chance actually because she has that ability to do to do both. You know, she can put mm. the acceleration in, but she can also just defend so well and use those angles and just drag players off the court. I mean, what a and player she is. And she's got the is. patience as well. She's got the patience. Um yeah. But, do, you, do you know when we were watching that yeah. when that match was on, um Stevens against uh, Naomi Osaka Martina Navratilova was commentating on it here and I, I've become probably started to lean towards more thinking I'm, I'm not so sure about this round robin because I don't like doing the, 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 the sums when I'm watching tennis matches it's a bit like watching football and seeing away goals I don't, I don't like to think oh well what does that mean to the rest of the standings and that sort of thing same time watching Osaka today the thought that that's not her last match even though you lose that feeling of jeopardy, which I, I really value in, in the sport, I do, I do like the thought that I am going to get to see Naomi Osaka again. I think the countless uh, Japanese journalists that have made the trip to Singapore feel the same. Apparently it's just um, uh, Peter Piotr Wozniacki came into, I think they've been doing press conferences with the coaches today and Piotr Wozniacki came into press and he was visibly taken aback apparently by the just how many Japanese journalists there were and he said he greeted the room by saying hello Japan so that would be a disappointing short trip for them all if that were Osaka over and out so um what do you think about it yeah I know I some people, I mean, Chris Bradnam, for one, who, who's, who's out there commentating, I know he feels really strongly opposed and is making his views um, very known on it. I, I, to and fro, I think after last year's... Uh, I I actually... I don't know. I, I It feels like there are more good round-robin matches at the WTA finals, certainly recently, than there have been at the ATP finals. We've had a couple of disappointing years of round-robins in the ATP finals, I think. Certainly last year it was disappointing, wasn't it? I can't no. remember them last year. I remember I remember two or three years ago when, when virtually every match had a 6-1 set in it uh, and, and they were yeah. all straight sets. Um, everybody was just exhausted. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't... Getting back to this court speed thing, just generally, I don't get why tournaments are not just deliberately quickening these these courts. I mean, why would? Well, maybe they, they will. Maybe they will now. 
Yeah, I know. I, th- I mean, I, th- I think Martina Navratilova was talking about it, it a lot in commentary today, wasn't she? And certainly I, th- I, I suspect um, the USDA were quite taken aback by the response they got to the, the court speed at the US Open this year. Um, and maybe they didn't intend for it to be as big a difference as it ended up. But the whole thing's such a precise science that you'd think, you know, how could they possibly be surprised by the the end result but yeah i mean i if if we were ruling tennis david we'd change it in a flash wouldn't we well you, if yeah. only but i mean do you, you know what I, do, you, do you know what i've done david well i've held up this chat just long enough that we don't really have time to do any tennis jokes oh chokes or jokes <laughs> both either i'll tell you what you've got you've got a minute and a half you can divide that between chokes and jokes, however you like. Okay, I'll tell you what. What I'm going to do is, because it's only a minute and a half, and I feel like tennis chokes, C-H-O-K-E-S, needs to get its proper dues, I'm going to go with jokes, right? So at Tennis Podcast, I asked you for your tennis jokes, just because I misunderstood Catherine. Oh, uh, I really, you... really hoped you'd go with chokes. Well, too bad. Is... You, you know, you give me the... the the opportunity and i'm going to take there it. are no good tennis jokes there are there, there are, are some really good ones uh a right so is not a joke uh jim boyle says uh what time does sean connery arrive at wimbledon tennis yeah uh anderson says why are fish never good tennis players don't know they don't like getting close to the net uh amy says uh why should you never fall in love with a tennis player because love means nothing correct I mean, what is this mastermind uh, used to be a runner says nobody likes my reserve at the tennis club it keeps getting returned mm. so there we if have any, it okay hashtag tennis it, jokes write to us at tennis podcast and let us if there's anyone out there that laughed out loud at any one of those jokes have you during got any? this podcast and any one of any single one of them, and I will stand corrected. Have you got any tennis jokes, Catherine? No, because there aren't any funny tennis jokes. All I could think of was um, I remember one year at the Albert Hall, Tim Henman opened. the The players always get sent fan mail, so just addressed, you know, Tim Henman, Royal Albert Hall, um, and uh, he had a letter from a fan just sort of politely saying tim um just occurred to me the other day and i felt i should pass it on you really should open a fish and chip shop called chip and charge i mean it's still not funny i mean that is not even that wouldn't even get into hashtag tennis jokes that is appalling this is not a segment that will be returning oh god i'm closing it down after that that is awful well it's not my joke well you've just told it you just put it on air yeah well They've all been rubbish. They've all been rubbish. A pun is not pun does not equal joke. Oh, we will no. d- we will do tennis jokes another time. They're never going out of date, are they? No. Um, just one other tiny bit. Uh, we won't dedicate more than a few seconds to this, David. Um, but Renee Stalford, the uh, Swiss journalist. Um, very esteemed Swiss journalist has had some time with Roger Federer this week. They've talked about all sorts of things. Um, but uh, Federer told him that he had a hand injury. He injured his hand before Wimbledon and that was affecting him, um, for, he said, for about a three-month period afterwards, um, including during the defeat to Kevin Anderson. And a lot of people pointing out this isn't the first time that after the fact Federer has said, oh, actually, I was a little bit injured. Um, and given how much time... Rightly, I believe we spend singing Roger Federer's praises because, in many millions of respects, he's marvellous. We, you know, should we just highlight the fact that that's not, you know, technically it's all sort of against the sporting code, isn't it's it? One of those, one of those, though, isn't it? You know, we 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 want players to be honest, and then we, yeah. we rip them if they're not. But I do feel that you know he he made a quite a big thing of of the fact that he'd come into the U.S. Open this year, and this time he was fit and ready to go you know whereas last year he wasn't and so yeah this is the first of we've heard of it really um and uh, yeah i'm not i'm not too keen on it but i have to say at the same time catherine it it kind of would add up a bit i mean his his forehand was 
all over the. It, it's been it's been awful summer, hasn't it? Or was awful against summer, Kevin Anderson at Wimbledon and, and then various yeah. other places. He could put all, it in the court. Yeah, he could for the first two sets though. Yeah, but then it started hurting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. Anyway, just just felt like. It should get a little mention. And we've done that. Stanford Rinker uh, is out of the rest of the season with a back Go on, rest up, Stan. That's, that's a bit of a bum note to end on. Rest we, up, rest up. 2019's but, coming. 2019 is a coming. Um, that's it, David. That's all I've got. Tennis chokes apart, next apart week. Apart from tennis chokes, which deserves more time. Yeah. You've got, you've got an extra week to perform another... <laughs> to, to get another entry into the tennis chokes yeah. competition. Oh. I'm playing again on Thursday. It's it's right gonna, then. Oh dear, I'm stressed. <laughs> That's four days away. Um, right then, we've been the tennis podcast, David. Um, brought to you in association with the Telegraph, uh, with our executive producers Melanie Bowes, Triple S, Tennisballs dot com, uh, with La Manga Club. Um, Charlie the Ferret he said we've not heard much from Charlie recently have we we can only assume he's in fine health and uh, scurrying around having too great a time to contact us and uh, yeah we'll, we'll be back next week A lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.